Lament, mourning, tears, anger. And somehow, resilience. Somehow, hope. I don't know how the Hebrew people survived deportation to Babylon. I don't know how indigenous peoples the world over survived colonization. And I don't know how enslaved West Africans survived the so-called New World. I do know that many of them didn't survive. Many of the Hebrew people never saw the restoration 70 years later. Many of the indigenous peoples are still struggling for rights and sovereignty. And just on the middle passage from West Africa to the Americas, two million people died. When your life is stolen, how do you ever find hope again? We commemorate today stolen people brought to stolen land. And it didn't end with the Emancipation Proclamation. Because even after institutionalized chattel slavery was ended, the U.S. shifted to stealing lives and wealth and land and culture in other ways. Through Jim Crow and police brutality and systemic oppression and mass incarceration and redlining and predatory lending and forced sterilization and immigration restrictions and convict leasing and appropriation and gentrification. And lives continue to be stolen. As we remember this week, Michael Brown, five years ago, at 18 years old, he was murdered in our community by the very people charged with protecting and serving. And then last night, a white man in El Paso killed at least 20 people in what authorities suspect was an anti-Hispanic hate crime. As we read the news and as we read our history books, I keep asking, where is God in all of this? For 400 years, where has God been? And where is God now? One answer for both contemporary and historic atrocities is to blame God. And this is what the author of Lamentations does in the section immediately before what we read today. The author wrote, under the rod of God's wrath, God forcibly drove me away. He turned his hand even against me over and over. He has made my flesh and skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has made me sit in darkness like the dead of long ago. He shuts me in so I'll never get out. He manacles my hands, shackles my feet. And even when I cry out and plead for help, he locks up my prayers and throws away the key. This is the lament of the exiled. When we can't figure out who else to blame, God is an obvious and easy target. And it's okay to lament and to reach out and blame God. God can handle our anger. God can handle our despair. But as we lament over fallen Jerusalem and suffering Israel and stolen indigenous land and stolen African lives and continued oppression today, 
let us not be too quick to blame God. God can handle our anger, but God is not the right target of it. That takes the guilt off of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Portuguese and the Dutch and the English and the French and the Spanish and the Southerners and the Northerners and all those who enrich themselves on the backs of others' labor. The destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of other civilizations throughout history was not God's fault. This was human history, human doing. And as we commemorate 400 years of slavery and colonized America, we need to specifically name that this was white humans doing. Race was constructed in order to justify the economic exploitation. And even more than just white Europeans and Euro-Americans doing this, we in a Christian church, in a Christian setting, we must wrestle with the fact that it was white Christians doing. White Christian colonizers used scripture and church teaching to justify slavery. White Christian colonizers emphasized human words of scripture, words like, slaves, obey your masters. Over Jesus, the word made flesh, Jesus, the word who came to set the captive free, not to justify enslaving people. Those of us who follow Jesus, we follow the God of the Hebrews. We worship the God who accompanied the Israelites from their homeland into captivity, who heard their lament and gave them reason to hope, promising that God's mercies can be new every morning. This God continues to lead us and guide us today, sending Jesus to suffer alongside those who are in pain and offering new life for those who repent. Repentance means that while we can't change the past, we can change the trajectory of our shared future. Repentance starts with confession and then moves into making amends. And I therefore invite you to hear this confession from the 400th year commemorative ceremony written for the Angela Project by Cherie Mills. It will be shared later this month in a liturgy at Simmons College in HBCU, or that is a historically black college and university in Kentucky. And if you this morning need to repent with me, then do so as I read. And if you need to receive these words of repentance— If you need to hear someone else saying them to you, may you hear this confession as a commitment to spending the next 400 years repairing the harm of the previous 400. On behalf of Europe and the Western world, we repent for the enslavement of black people. We repent for kidnapping you from your native land of Africa putting you in chains and under the brutality of the whip, forcing you to lie down, chained together in the dark, damp bottom of cargo ships for months, where millions of you died as we transported you to America to be exploited as free labor in the cotton fields that built white wealth. 
We repent for whipping you into states of physical and mental unconsciousness. We repent for the physical scars inflicted when we beat your naked backs until they were bloodied and permanently scarred. We repent for the emotional scars as we denigrated your human worth and discredited your value. We repent for raping your mothers and for violating your daughters who were yet children and robbing them of innocence. We repent for treating you like cattle and regarding you as animals, tearing your families apart and auctioning off your relations, separating mothers from fathers and sisters from brothers and children from parents to reap payment from the highest bidder. We denounce the deafening of our ears to your piercing cries for mercy and the hardening of our hearts against compassion for your plight. We lament our vicious retaliation for the times when you followed the innate human desire for freedom. We lynched your bodies and left them to rot in the trees. We amputated and humiliated you to disconnect you from feelings of wholeness. We snatched up your mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers, hung them by their ankles, and burned them alive simply to protect and preserve the perverse institution of slavery. O Lord, have mercy. We repent of our intergenerational acceptance of vitriol and disregard toward our black brothers and sisters, which has manifested as racism and discrimination. We rebuke our acquiescence through our participation and our culpability through our silence. We repent and seek your forgiveness. The 400th year liturgy continues with a response from descendants of enslaved people saying, we forgive you for, and then naming all of the things that the white people in the liturgy have just confessed. And the liturgy continues back and forth through 400 years of injustice. And while the full liturgy is beautiful and powerful, I couldn't ask us to do it today. For I, as a white pastor in a historically white church, cannot script words of forgiveness for anyone else. It is not for me to determine when to forgive or how. That is a gift that can only be given by the people harmed. Truly repentant people do not expect or demand forgiveness. Instead, truly repentant people recognize that reparations are needed, that there is ongoing work to be done, that apologies are not enough. Repentance means changing direction and making amends. From, from 1619 to 2019, a white-dominated society has exploited people of color. And all of us must join with the Hebrew people in lamentations. We must lament what has happened and commit to changing this country. And in this... Finally, we have hope that God's mercies are new every morning. That when we bow down before the Lord, we can rise again in the grace that is new life together.
Amen.